What's in the house? This is episode 48 of the Bryce Harper podcast. Thank you for tuning in. A good start and visions the end result. I want to talk to you today of a series I've been doing here at Family Worship Center entitled Home or Houses in the Homes or How to Turn a House into a Home. And I want to ask you a question that comes from 2 Kings chapter 4. What's in the house? And when you think about context of First and Second Kings, in some of my studies, I have found it stated that the message of the of First and Second Kings is these statements. It's about um, the message of these books can be put in these statements: leaders succeed or fail by their relationship with God and their response to the word of God through the prophets. If the people reject God's word through prophecy, they will fall from idolatry to apostasy and the judgment of captivity. Without God, we cannot rule ourselves. God is a faithful ruler above all earthly rulers. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, verse 1 says, Now a woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. In all of this, I've just talked about relationship. We've talked about marriage. We've talked about ways to turn a house into a home. And, and so to all the women out there, be in covenant with a man who serves God. Man, uh, serve God. Um, women, take care of your families. Man, take care of your families. And take care of your wife and take care of them financially. Uh, single women, you should pursue a man who fears the Lord. Single man, you should fear the Lord. And, um, you know, I think about this passage and I think about in Proverbs thirteen twenty two where it says, Save up for your children's children. And that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom as Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 states. So here is this widow. And she is crying out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and he feared the Lord. Creditors have come to take my children. And so Elisha responds, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And I find it really interesting that she is in a desperate situation, Asking for the man of God for intervention, or not really so much asking for intervention, but just stating her current situation. And Elisha's response is, what shall I do for you? And then tell me, what do you have in the house? Okay, she she lost her husband. She doesn't have apparently any money. But Elisha asked, what do you have? Can you imagine asking somebody who comes to you or maybe somebody comes to me, you know, especially as a pastor, I've lost my husband. I don't have any money, you know, basically help. And my response back is, well, what do you have? Well, I just got done telling you what I don't have. I find it interesting that a lot of times in our lives, when we are faced in very, very difficult situations, whether we lost a loved one, the situation you lose your spouse Maybe you lose your job. I don't have anything. Maybe your kids are wayward. Whatever. I don't have anything. And so she says, your servant has nothing in the house 
except a jar of oil. Look, either we have nothing or we have something. And I want to tell you today, if you have breath in your lungs, if you have a pulse from your heart, you have something. If you got food in your belly, if you've got a roof over your head, if you got clothes on your back, you, my friend, have something. And it's interesting that in dire, desperate, terrible situations that we inevitably face in life, it's easy to quickly state, I have nothing. I ain't got nothing. And in Western society, I believe we are taught, unless we have everything, we believe we have nothing. And it leads me to think about, man, the revivals in Asbury, the revivals across our nation and world. Man, I don't, you know, we don't have revival like Asbury. Yeah, we, we, you know, I don't have that job, you know, or I, I don't have that marriage or joy or mental health or emotional health. I don't have, you know, those accolades that maybe some have. I didn't get that job promotion. I didn't get that bonus. You know, I didn't get the house or the car. It's just easy in the midst of all this to say I, I don't have anything when we really do have something. So again, what's in the house? What? is in your life that needs to be given over to God. And Jesus in Matthew 14 said to them, "Do not they do not need to go. You give them something to eat." Talking about the multitude of people. Verse 17 in Matthew chapter 14. They said to him, "We have nothing here except five loaves and two fish." And he said, bring them here to me. And we know the story from there, right? They had more than enough. They went from not having nothing except a lunch to having more than enough to meet the needs. When God does a miracle, when God pours out his spirit, like we see at Asbury and throughout our nation and our churches and across the globe, He's not doing something to entertain us. He's doing something charitable. God would never, ever do something to just wow us. He does stuff in our lives to meet an inner need in our soul. And yes, a lot of times that can be entertaining. I mean, when God, when when Jesus takes the loaves and fish and and he multiplies it, I mean, it's like David Blaine, and it's like a, like a magic show. Like, how do he do that? That's incredible, right? It's mind-blowing. It's fascinating. And it, there is an element of entertainment because it's out of this world. It's mysterious. It's mystical. Again, it's like magical. It's, um, but God doesn't do those things for that purpose. He, he broke the bread and, broke the, and multiplied it to meet the need inside the lives of those that were around him. So verse 3 in 2 Kings 4, Then he said, Go and borrow containers elsewhere for yourself, empty containers from all your neighbors, and don't get, do not get too few. So apparently this, this widow had great rapport in her community. And how many know we need to have great rapport in our community? You and I. We need to, like here we have life groups, and I, man, I strongly encourage for you to get plugged into a church get plugged into a group of people that you do life with and ask for advice and ask for wisdom and ask for prayer and ask, go get empty containers to be able to contain what God is wanting to pour out in your life. You know, in the New Testament, they met daily. 
They broke bread and they listened to the teaching. And God poured into them this growth and this expansion. And people got saved and people were healed. So verse 4, then you should come in this private place of your home, shut the door behind you and your sons and pour into all these containers and you shall set aside what is full. What God wants to do and what he is doing is multi-generational. So here is a widow and her sons. God's not just wanting to do something just for the widow or just for the sons. He's wanting multi-generational, transgenerational, just generational synergy to take place to be able to absorb and to acquire and to contain, to receive the providence and the outpouring and the abundance of who he is that comes from his word. So verse five, so she left him and shut the door behind her and her sons and they began bringing the containers to her and she poured the oil. So the word was given, she obeyed, she poured, the sons received, an older generation poured out, a younger generation caught. And as long as that vessel, that jar was upside down, the oil flowed. I believe you and I, especially as the church, has to be in a posture of pouring out if we are going to continue to see the abundance of God in our lives. As even now as I'm recording this, we're in the season of Lent in, in 2023, just this time of sequestering ourselves up into Easter, fasting, you know, considering all the things that Jesus, you know, refrained from, thinking about the wilderness that he endured and and all the things that he faced within his flesh, I believe it's so important for us as a church to continue to pour ourselves out. Karen Wheaton, when I was a part of Chosen with the ramp, Karen Wheaton would always say, where you stop is where you stop. Verse 6 says, when the containers were full, and she said to her sons, bring me another container. But he said to her, there are no more containers. Very interesting. In verse 6, 2 Kings 4, then... The oil stopped. When did the oil stop? The oil stopped when there are no more containers. When we don't have anything else to bring to God to fill up, that's when it stops. God doesn't stop because that is that is His intentions. It's it's the fact that we stop. We stop bringing to Him things in our life that we would love for Him to fill up. So we think, well, God doesn't want to do. It. If God wanted to do something, He would just do it. It's really hard for God to fill up vessels that are already full of themselves. And when I read this, this is what I read. I, I've got, I cannot come to God with filled up on the world or filled up on, on selfishness or filled up with bitterness or filled up with anger or anxiety. Or I've got to come to God completely open, ready to receive what he wants to pour out into my life, what he wants to pour into my, my, this temple, my body as a temple of the Holy Spirit, what he wants to pour into my life and my relationship with him, what he wants to then pour into my marriage, my children. I, I look at these as all, as all containers that God wants to pour into my children, my home, my finances, my bit, my ministry, where I work, maybe where I go to school, go to college, my, my school, my, my city, my state, nation, where I, I don't come with all these like preconceived ideas are filled with all these other things that are just not of God. The oil stops when I stop bringing him empty vessels. 
And man, my personal time with the Lord, especially stirred up from things from Asbury and some of my staff members got to go to Asbury and, and them sharing that with with me and with our staff and with our church has been very, very exciting and inspiring and refreshing. And so there's something in me that's saying, I don't I don't have that. God, I, God, I want to receive that. And, and in all of this, my prayer is has gone from being very specific and, and and naming it and claiming it and but then it's just kind of gone way beyond that and it's been God just give give me you just give me your presence just give me your spirit just give me your word just give me Jesus and during this time of Lent may that be our prayer every day I give me Jesus Give me your word that, that has become flesh. And may that word quicken my mortal body. And in verse 7, so she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. I find it interesting that here she is with a fortune. I mean, we, I mean she is given a fortune. I mean, he is saying you can sell some, pay your debt, and then have enough to not only just pay your debt, but you and your sons can live on the rest, on the rest of it. She's, she's given an absolute fortune. I mean, she just won the Powerball lottery ticket. I mean, everything's covered. I mean, in verse 1, she's about to just lose everything. Verse 7, everything's taken care of. This is how God works. And when I read that, you and your sons can live on the rest. I read that and I took the the out of live on the rest. You and your sons can live on rest. How many know when you are financially taken care of, you can rest? <laughs> I mean, like you can really rest. I don't, I know we should be people of faith and trust God, but there's something really, really powerful when you don't have debt. When you don't have to do anything but just live, but just live, you can live on rest. I believe that's what God wants to do in our lives spiritually, is that He wants us to live on that. There are things that God has paid for. As we're looking to Easter, there's things that God has paid for that allows us to live on rest. You know, everything in this earth that we try to acquire and try to get, it's things that moth and rust corrupt that don't last forever. But what Jesus gives lasts forever. So we can live on rest because of that. And when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, man, this guy who left this widow and her sons to deal with all this, man, that's, that's messy. He should have done a better job stewarding his money. He should have saved, you know. I'm getting this picture of like just some guy who's just at all the conferences. I don't know, blowing shofar, and I and I believe in all that. It's all great. I just see this uber ultra Pentecostal guy. He's at all the prophetic conferences. He's getting slain in the spirit. Yet his family's at home struggling. But the Bible tells us he was a servant of the man of God, and that he feared the Lord. The Bible had great things to say about him. So initially going to the store, I was like, man, he, I don't want to do. But then here we are at the end. And because of his relationship to the voice of God, the prophet of God, the word of God, Elisha, 
and that he feared the Lord, it's, that is what provided his family to now be at verse 7, to live on rest. The greatest thing I could give my family is a love for God and a love for my spouse. I've stated in previous podcasts. It's the love of God. It's the love I have for God, the voice of God, the word of God. That's the greatest thing I can give my family. He could have saved up and, and given them some, you know, financial resources, but probably not to this degree. But because he made God's voice, God's presence, God's spirit, and feared the Lord, those things are priority. He provided for his family. So I hope this is encouragement to you, no matter where you're at in life as a father, a mother, a single parent, a single person, make God and his voice the priority and, and he will provide the rest. He'll, pro- he'll provide. So the father did really provide in this situation. The husband really did supply. And I hope that this is an image and it's been my prayer and I believe it's an image of the church that has been widowed. We have, we have gone astray. We have depended more on the methods of man than we have on the word of God. We're living in a time right now where the church has to go back to the prophetic words of God and what he is saying. What is the prophetic word of God? It's Jesus. It's the life and message, sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus. Right? I mean, it is, it is, the, it is the word of my testimony. It's the blood of the lamb, the word of my testimony. The, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so, man, I hope this has been encouragement to you, that you and I would be a generation of leaders. And I love it that in this, in this passage that we went over today in this episode, here's this widow. She closes the door behind her with her sons, and God does a miracle. May it be for you that God does a miracle right in the privacy of your home with your children with your family, with your marriage, with your future marriage, with your future children, that you would know how to go to God, to obey his words, and to pour yourself out. What's in the house? I can tell you, you may think it's nothing, but in the hands of God, it is something. And what, and in seven verses, a lot, a lot can happen, right? With God, seven words, seven sentences Seven days, right? God can do a lot in seven moments, in seven seconds, in seven words, in seven days. You know, you can have lost something in a matter of seconds that took a lifetime to acquire, but God can do a lifetime of work in a matter of moments. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget a good start envisions the end result.